The series is tied. The Scott Foster curse is over. And we're headed to Los Angeles. On today's episode of Locked on Suns, breaking down a big-time game to win by the Phoenix Suns. Let's go. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcast, Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen here on Tuesday night, if I can get it up in time. If not, Wednesday morning. Thank you for starting your post-game coverage with us. Getting locked on to your favorite team each and every day. If you have not hit subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, go ahead and do so. If you're on YouTube, hit that bell, get a notification when a new show goes up, and drop a comment down below with your thoughts on Game 2. A big win, a necessary win, 123-109. to The Suns cover, they dominate, they win in double-digit fashion. Very good stuff all around. We'll dive into it today. In no time, today's show, uh, guys, is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use the code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I also want to shout-out at LockedOnPHXSuns on Twitter. It's not really a shout-out. I'd be shouting out myself. It is a reminder to all of you, which is to... Follow us there where you can participate in the 7 Seconds or Less Game Take. We have Joe Shook at Shaked Up 12 with Screw You Scott Foster. Chris Paul wins. We have Mason Edwards at Mason underscore Edwards with Akogi and Craig will determine our fate. Good stuff. Only like 20 responses this time though. I know you guys can do better. I was a little late putting it out there, but... Uh, we got like 40 after game one, and that was a loss. So you guys should jump in there, of course. Get your get your thoughts, interact with the community, all that good stuff. Let's dive in. 123-109, Suns win. We're going to do a good old-fashioned game recap in this one. And uh, those of you who have been listening, everydayers, all year long, you'll know exactly what I'm doing. We start with the moment of the game, and in this case, it takes us to the 10-minute, about 10-and-a-half-minute mark of the third quarter. And you'll remember this moment without a doubt. Devin Booker steals the ball from Ivica Zubats at the top of the key. Zubats just poor, unknowing, had no chance, trying to do a dribble handoff, and Booker comes, strips the ball, sprints down to the other side, makes a dunk, puts the Suns up six, continues a run that had started at the end of the second quarter. And really, that's uh, that's kind of where I want to go here. Two things that we saw from the end of the second quarter on to this moment, as well as just what this moment showed us. So let's start there. That moment was not just Booker making a big play. It, it uh, caused a Ty Lue timeout. I don't believe the Clippers ever led again after being tied at halftime. Suns ran away with it from that point on it. You know, there were some, some battles still to be had, but it was, it was in the sun's hands at that moment. And you felt it. 
And I, and so that's big, right? But I think beyond that, bigger than that, it was also this moment where, to me, this game was about the Suns from a coaching standpoint, from an execution standpoint, from an aggressiveness standpoint. The mentality in this game was so much better than game one. And they came out knowing they needed to win and knowing they could win and making it happen. And, you know, that's why as much as it's, coach speak in a lot of ways that's why when you hear Monty Williams come post game to the podium and he's answering questions about why this team won he's throwing out words like grit and toughness and and juice and all that stuff that you know doesn't have a tangible meaning it doesn't mean and you're not going to look at the box score and see somebody had seven grits right but they did tonight and this play to me really epitomized that that they just took hold of it because in game one they were manhandled in the second quarter, in the early second quarter of this game, the Clippers built their own double-digit lead. I think the Clippers had a 13-14 point lead at one point in this game, and it really started to feel like game one again, like a lot of Suns playoff games have felt where you know Chris Paul is not getting uh, what he wants in the pick and roll, and other guys are not comfortable stepping up defensively they they looked aimless and it was like uh, is this thing about to unravel on them you know you i don't think i was the only one feeling that talk about the end of the second quarter in a moment but you lead up all the way to this point and to me what this signified again with the tip the 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 toughness and grit and seizing of the game it was also just know-how exploiting the opponent's weaknesses in the same way that they're exploiting yours right like they're getting into Chris uh, to Kevin Durant's dribble, right? They know he's seven feet tall. He's going to have the ball in his hands. Well, let's try to poke it away. Let's try to disrupt his rhythm. Same thing with Devin Booker. He's not seven feet tall, but, you know, he has a loose handle at times. Let's just disrupt their rhythm. Let's try to get them to, if not turn the ball over, at least a possession can get mucked up because they're bobbling the ball everywhere. As one example, right? The Suns know that Ivica Zubats is, is not uh, exactly... Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out there, right? Make him uncomfortable. Don't let him get a, a simple dribble handoff. It's a, it's, a, it's a menial nothing play. Blow it up, you know? Take the game. Take those moments. Take those small moments, and they did that, right? And so I think that was... It just symbolized that, right? Booker just sprinted toward him, grabbed the ball, and dunked it. And, like, yeah, he almost kind of fouled. I don't remember who the wing was out there that kind of tried to, to fight with him for the ball. He shoved off a little bit. The, le- the refs were letting these guys play quite a bit tonight. And he just dunked the ball. Six-point lead, timeout, Suns don't look back. But if you rewind even, even further than that, to me, it was the capping off of the seizing of the game. And it wasn't just, I don't want to pretend as if it was just one steal that did that. Last five minutes of the second quarter, the Suns had 12 offensive possessions. They scored 23 points. So just freeze frame that for a second. If you've ever heard of offensive rating, if if you're an everyday or listening to this show, you know um, that what that number means, right? It's points scored per 100 possessions. Net rating is points scored minus points allowed per 100 possessions, right? So you think about that. 23 points in 12 possessions. Basically, that is almost two points per possession. 
think about that. You know what a possession is, right? That's when the offense has the ball. Two points would basically mean, you know, a layup every time. So that's about what they were getting on average because a lot of they, they made some threes in there. They didn't score on every possession, but they, they made some threes to, 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 to balance that out. Basically, you're, you're looking at like 190 points per 100 possessions. Now, it's a small sample, only 12, but that's how efficient they were offensively in that moment, in that stretch, to tie up the game at 59 with a big pull-up three off of a steal by Torrey Craig by Devin Booker, that three, to tie it at 59 heading into the break. That's the cap off of it. 21 of those 23 points in those 12 possessions over the course of those five minutes were scored or assisted by Durant and Booker. It leads into what I want to talk about in the next segment, but it it just cannot be emphasized enough. The best players, of which the Suns have two, you know, a, a good reminder of that too, that, you know, the Clippers are supposed to be at a disadvantage here. In game one, it did not feel that way. Game two, the Suns made it feel that way because both of their stars were great. You would even say Chris Paul was great toward the end. Those guys can be unstoppable. They showed it that they showed that they were. Talk about in the next segment a little bit more how they did it, but even that was a, a, a version of seizing the game and, and flexing your advantages in a way that was very impressive, putting the ball in those guys' hands, the simplicity of what you're able to do offensively when you have the ball in their hands, all that stuff. And it culminates with that steal, that dunk, that timeout, and then the Suns go on to win, never give up the lead again. So very, very special time, and and, and that, that stretch of play. And I really hope and feel like we will look back on that as a little bit of a turning point. The middle quarters the way that they were able to execute and the culminating cumulative star power that those guys had. We'll talk about how the Suns came ready to play and and really to me, Monty Williams coaching this game like it was a must win. Get into that next. First, today's show, guys, brought to you by Ultimate Basketball GM. And uh, look, I'm sure some of you were pulling out the trade machine or whatever other tools after game one, ready to trade this entire roster, fire the coach, and do whatever you thought was going to be necessary to turn this team into a champion. <laughs> Maybe cool off on that a little bit. Go to Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. We love it on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're all basketball geeks, just like you are. And this game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of your franchise, playing through seasons and leading that franchise and fans to glory as you build a dynasty. Deal with challenging personalities, hire the right coaches and assistants, trade and train players make draft picks and navigate your franchise through free agency and the draft across multiple seasons all in a challenging realistic game world modeled after the nba ultimate pro basketball gm is completely free and playable offline play on the go as you want and when you want not just when you're linked to the internet lockdown listeners get a free 100 boost to their franchise when using the code locked on in the game store Download the game by visiting Pro Basketball GM. You can also scan the code on the screen here on YouTube. Scan the code on their website. Look it up in your favorite app store wherever you are. ProBasketballGM.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN for a free 100% boost. Ultimate Basketball GM. Start your dynasty today. 
All right, let's keep it rolling here. It is 123-109, the final score as a friendly reminder. Just put that out there one more time. Let that rain into your ears and, and smile here on Tuesday morning after another nice Suns win with Kevin Durant moving to, what is it, 9-1 and one now with that man on this team. Uh, this is what it can look like, guys, and, and it was great to watch here in game two. But big takeaway which is segment number two for all of you. Uh, maybe newbies here, the everydayers know, but we like to do the the uh, the big takeaway here in segment number two, and it is that Monty Williams came ready. He coached this game like it was a must-win, and I think it was. You're not going back to Los... You're not going to Los Angeles down 2-0 and expecting to win four out of five where home court advantage is gone that would not have been a good situation. And so really I look at it from three different standpoints, offense, defense, and lineups. All right. And we'll do a a full bench mob vibe check in the last segment, really diving in there. And so by rotations, I don't necessarily mean anything pertaining to who played. I do think playing a Kogi more was smart. We'll talk about that more, as I said, but it was really more so not taking your foot off the gas with your superstars being on the court. All right. Um, To me, Booker and and Durant, should they be in the middle, mid 40s every single night uh, for four rounds if that's what you end up playing? No. It's not ideal. But, you know, the way that the Clippers play, they're able to muck games up. They are able to keep games close because Kawhi Leonard is such an efficient player offensively, just a one-man bucket, whether for himself or his teammates, that you're going to be hard-pressed to blow this team out. And so if that's the case, there's not going to be a ton of lopsided games, then that tends to mean heavy minutes. So maybe there will be a round in the future if the Suns can escape the Clippers where it maybe calls for more role players. Maybe there's a less of a game script that calls for your superstars. But the reality was, if this was a must win and this is how this series is going to be played, you needed to play those guys as much as you possibly could. Monty Williams did that. They were on the court together a ton. One of them was on the court at every single moment of this game. And end of the first quarter, end of the third quarter, we did not see some of those silly lineups that we saw in game one. Beginning of the fourth quarter, I thought maybe you would see Booker rest or Durant rest. Durant got about a minute or two of rest from like 10 and a half minutes to about nine, eight minutes. But other than that, these guys just played and played and played and they needed it. And so that's sort of what I mean when I say rotations. Offensively, I thought that there was a simplicity to what the Suns did that Booker spoke to post game a little bit. And and as crazy as it sounds, I really do think that that's the best counter to what the Clippers do, right? You know, this team is, it's tricky. Like Ty Lue is, it, it seems like he's four steps ahead of everything, you know? I've, I, I've been talking about this after the last two games, uh, in the last two shows after game one, but you know, you will come out of a timeout or a free throw and suddenly in, in, entirely different guys are guarding you, you know, if you're a Suns player. And, you know, fourth quarter is a great example. Devin Booker's going off. 
They're going to the Booker and Durant pick and roll. They are getting mismatches and isos. And in an instant, Ty Lue switches Kawhi onto Booker. Right? And so what does that do? It, it, it basically means not only is Booker less likely to create for himself, but if you switch, Kawhi ends up on Durant or, or whatever. You can dictate that as well. So the Suns go to Chris Paul. They end up getting Booker as a second side guy. They end up allowing him to attack in space, and he still creates offense at a really at a really elite level. Some other things we saw. Uh, even I actually want to reiterate the book Kevin Durant pick and roll. I know I just glossed over it to highlight the adjustment the Suns made, but even running that in the first place was pretty good. They have not done that much since Durant got here. They played Durant at the five to close the third quarter. They had a Book, Shamit, Okogi, Craig, Durant lineup out there. Very, very solid. I think that they might continue to actually lean in on that a little bit more in this uh, in this game, in this series going forward. People talked a lot about the Suns attacking the drop, and I actually didn't really see it that way. Like, don't don't get me wrong. You know, Chris Paul closing, he made a, a barrage of, of mid-range jumpers to close this game out. Booker made a couple pull-up threes. Durant got to a pull-up game here and there, but I didn't really feel like it was just Zubats getting abused. To me, really what the Suns were smart about with that stuff is knowing what specifically to, to push on, right? So there was a moment there in the, uh, in the fourth quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, where Kawhi was on Aiton because the Suns have been able to get a lot of good stuff with a Booker Aiton pick and roll or a Paul Aiton pick and roll. And what the Clippers were trying to do is to put Kawhi on Aiton and then say, well, if Aiton sets a screen, then Kawhi gets switched onto the ball handler and, and the play is blown up. The Suns sniffed that out right away. They started using Torrey Craig as a screener and Zubats was guarding him. You'll remember that's what they did a lot in, in game one. They got amazing offense out of that. They were able to attack the drop a little bit. Booker got a nice pull-up three there in that moment. And and so it was less to me like, you know, and honestly, the Zubats drop stuff is pretty overblown, in my opinion, in general. I just feel like he's not in a very deep drop. He's pretty high up most of the time. I actually think he's been pretty good defensively in this series. And, you know... It's just more about getting the right shots and, and manipulating it in, in a positive way more so than it is anything else. But that's enough on the offense. We'll talk about that more later uh, as, we, as we continue on here. Um, you know, I, the last quick thing I will say, sorry, offensively, Durant, Aiton, screens inside the arc. This was something that I spent an entire segment on talking about it after the Oklahoma City game on that Sunday that the Suns won where they was really one of the only games they were challenged with Durant and they were able to win it and they were relentless in that game running interior pin downs with Durant running off the screen at about the free throw line the elbow with Aiton screening for him Durant catching right as he comes off the screen and that little bit of space is all he's going to need, especially when there is, again, a defender like Zubats who is going to be in somewhat of a drop, a, a conservative coverage. That's it. 
And and a lot of those plays, especially late, it was Russ guarding Durant in those situations. And so, you know, he already has the height advantage. Again, you know, the best thing Russ is doing is disrupting Durant's dribble. And so another example, just all these ways that they were using their best players together offensively to create good stuff and to poke at it, prod at it, attack matchups, and not being afraid to spam what was working. All that stuff was really good, and it can be that simple for this team. Very quickly defensively, I would say the example that I would point to, again, Monty coming ready to win, coaching this game to win, the approach being this is a must-win, and we can win it, and here's how. Defensively, we talked about lineups and offense. Defensively, the main thing I want to point to is the Suns adjusting their pick-and-roll coverage specifically on Kawhi Leonard. In the second half, Monty said that the big emphasis was just guarding the ball. And obviously there's a certain amount of just IQ focus and you know physical intensity that's necessary to do that. The other part is always going to be game planning. There's always some sort of solution you can be doing as a team to make life easier against great players for whoever is guarding them one-on-one. Yes, as much as you want to say, Torrey Craig just needs to keep Kawhi in front of him. Good luck. You know, the NBA would love to hear your secret if you can do that. Instead, the Suns were having Aiton Hedge, which is basically not quite blitzing, where you think about the Miami Heat with LeBron back in the day, where Battier and LeBron and Wade and Bosch would, you know, push the pick and roll out further than wherever the screen was being set and blow it up to, to shreds. The Jason Kidd tried to do this with Milwaukee a lot, right? That's not what the Suns do. A lot of no real teams do that anymore. Too much shooting on the floor. Instead, it's also not a drop, which is what Aiton does a lot. It's basically in between. You're having Aiton step up to basically the level of the screen. Sometimes he might stay there and kind of keep with Kawhi for a step or two and then re rotate back out uh, and allow the ball handler or the 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 point of attack defender, whoever's guarding Kawhi to recover back onto him or what they call up to touch, which is basically a think of Nikola Jokic. He does this a lot, right? It's just the big man stepping up really quick, sort of maybe swiping at the ball handler a little bit or just flashing, you know, putting his hands out or up or whatever, sort of just getting in his way, putting a body between him and the basket for a split second. And then, you know, basically backing off right away. And it just allows the ball handler to not turn the corner quite as easily or get to that pull-up or whatever the case may be. Kawhi can do all of those things. And it just makes him think for a second longer, makes their shot a little bit harder, and it makes the pass the easiest play, the best play. And it made him give up the ball more. You know, he did he only took 20 shots in this game. He had seven assists, three turnovers, but he only scored 31 points. He scored 38 in game one. That's what you mean when you talk about making life hard on star players, limiting star players. We love to throw out those things. What does that actually mean? In this case, it was that. Monty came out ready to be flexible. That's not something that he's always, you would always say about him, right? But Aiton can execute that scheme. They did it to a very high level, and it's a big part of why they won. So lineups, offense, defense, this team came ready. They executed what they wanted to do, and uh, all their best players were part of it. Closing out the show, let's talk about an honorary, a, a, a Facundo Compazzo All-Star. Yes, we're still doing that, as well as a deep dive on the bench. And we might get a box score oddity if we have time. First today's show, guys, 
brought to you by the Game Time app. I uh, missed out on concert tickets. Um, wife and I wanted to go see SZA. She didn't announce a Phoenix date in the first round. She did in the second round. We both missed the pre-sale, and you know, lo and behold, by the time we look, it's a million dollars, and and we're not going to go. Unfortunately, none of that was available through Game Time. Might have to check now on the back end, though. But if I had had Game Time, I don't think a lot of those problems would have been there for me because they offer flash deals and last-minute tickets, so you can either go early or late. Again, maybe I'll check it out. Easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event. Images of seat views, which I love. Usually I'm, I'm the type of person to go find somebody who posted a picture once upon a time of whatever that looked like, and you don't know if there's been 18 renovations between then and now, but you're going to trust it and spend your money accordingly. They also have a lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and more. Game time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Again, maybe I'm uh, counting myself out a little too early. Maybe those concert tickets will be there. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or row for less, game time will credit you 100%, 110% of the difference. Download the game time app, create an account, use the code locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, Create an account, redeem the code locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Closing out the show, let's start with an Facundo Campazzo All Star selection here. Yes, uh, it's been a while. Chris Paul has not exactly been, been uh, shaking and baking guys tonight, uh, or this season, rather, as you all know. Facundo Campazzo All Stars, for those who maybe are new, Maybe not the everydayers who have been with us for two years. Salute to those who have, and you already know what I'm talking about. 2021, I actually don't even think it was the playoff series. I think it was before the playoff series. Facundo Campazzo, if you remember him, he's the little guard that Jokic played with for a couple years during the pandemic. That's the best way I'll describe him. Chris Paul roasted him. Got him on a couple swipe throughs was shooting pick-and-roll jumpers in his face. Uh, Campazzo not necessarily known for his defense, and uh, Chris Paul made sure that that became known. So ever since then, we have our list. I believe Chris Tapps Porzingis, Carl Anthony Towns, and Facundo Campazzo are maybe the only three here that I can remember putting on this list. There might be more. We now have another guard, Bones Highland. Bones Island did not have uh, a game that he'll want to tell his family about in the future in this one. Six points, 0-4 from three, two of seven from the field. He was a plus two, which is kind of weird. Uh, plus minus is, is funny, right? But here was his stint in the fourth quarter. They put him on Chris Paul to start the fourth. He uh, Chris Paul gets to two mid-range jumpers. I actually think Russ or Gordon was guarding him on one. But Bones was uh, guarding him on the second one. Bones misses two open spot-up threes when they send help on, on Kawhi Leonard, and the ball kicks to him. Then he allowed a back cut by Josh Okoge, um, who he then had to foul. Then he got benched for the rest of the game. So, combination of Chris Paul and Okoge there, I guess, as well as Bones' own misses. But with those mid-range jumpers, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give, give him the Chris Paul Facundo Campazzo all-star treatment there. Benjamin vibe check. Let's go real quick. I thought, again, the best move Monty made tonight from that standpoint was playing a Kogi more. You could tell his impact. 
immediately he was cutting he was crashing the glass he didn't get counted for any offensive rebounds but I guarantee you he got his hand on a couple there was one I believe that um bounced off of Russell Westbrook and maybe ended up being out of bounds on the Suns there, there were definitely a couple where his energy was there he was attacking closeouts and got a couple dump offs to big men um just exactly what you needed him to be I thought that he guarded Powell solidly on a few possessions I think he got a couple cracks on Russ as well I just feel like it was the Akogi that we know and and who played really well throughout the regular season now could you go higher than 15 minutes sure maybe I think you could maybe we do I, I like I don't want to root out that we see him start in the future think about next round right if it's if it's Phoenix Denver which I'm not wet ready to say goodbye to the Clippers yet long way to go here but let's just uh, forecast that that's the most likely outcome Okogie's going to be needed to guard Jamal Murray, right? So it was promising to see that that he was out there tonight and, and making an impact. Um, a little bit less for Shamit. Okay, fine. You know, not not that big of a deal. Unfortunately, you know, he's really more of a, of a defender right now. He's not doing a lot on offense. Biombo, I thought, played pretty well. You know, three blocks, three offensive rebounds. That's the kind of thing you need. I thought he was pretty solid in executing some of the aggressive help that the Suns were sending on Kawhi, just like Aiton was. You know, I think they actually even had Biombo showing on the screen in a couple of instances when Kawhi was running pick and roll too, which is a nice luxury to have something that, for instance, Jack Landale is not going to be able to do, you know, um, so good stuff there. It's about it. You know, the starters played a, a heaping ton of minutes, so there's not going to be a lot of bench mob going on in the long run. Uh, last thing, box score oddity. There's a few directions I could go, but I assists is one 30 to 17 that's pretty normal though right when the sun's offense is clicking they're moving the ball a lot the clippers you know they're fine scoring with a Kawhi iso a norm powell iso a russell westbrook iso on and on and on so that doesn't surprise me it's not exactly an oddity one thing that is is three-point shooting i continue to believe and as we go back to los angeles in this series or go to los angeles i don't know why i keep saying back you would expect that the shooters are going to shoot better for LA. I, I've been surprised through two games now that we have not seen guys like Batum and Powell and Highland make their open threes, not to mention guys like Covington and, and, and Morris, who we may still see. I'm not positive, but especially with Batum not playing great, I would not be surprised if he busted, Ty Lue busted out Morris. Maybe they shoot better in game two, but the box score oddity of this one is three-point wise, the Suns took six fewer threes and made only one fewer. So they were able to even it out. And honestly, you know, it was, it was really one of the things that got their offense jolted in that second quarter, that stretch that I mentioned where they scored 23 points on 12 possessions to close out the second quarter. I think a couple of those were, were Torrey Craig threes and they were helping off of him so aggressively. A, a couple of those were strong side, you know, whatever the direction Booker was driving, they were helping off of Craig right there. Eric Gordon, you know, I, I understand if that's the game plan, but Gordon is not exactly a, a, an athletic dude at this point in his career where he's going to be able to help and recover back out to a shooter, even on the strong side, to be honest with you. And so Craig was getting some open ones as silly as that all is. It's kind of the golden rule of help defense, but the, the, the Clippers were fine to do it and, and overcrowd the Suns. The Suns were more ready for it in this one. Craig's threes really kind of helped, like I said, spur them along and get them comfortable, get the ball moving, get the crowd into it, all that stuff. So um, that was a big part of it. Craig made five of their 10 made threes in this game. Four of those 
were Booker, and a lot of those were pull-ups, as I mentioned, against Zubats, and then one for Kogi. So I don't know if 11 is what you should count on from the Clippers. I do think there's more to be done there, more makes that I could see on the horizon as their role players go home, but that's going to be how you have to do it. You have to generate good looks from deep. You have to take them when they're there and move the ball and create those because you're not going to put up as many as the Clippers, but you might make as many as we just saw. All right, that'll wrap us up. A big thank you to everybody for making Lockdown Suns your first listen on this Wednesday after game two. Everydayers who will be back tomorrow can look forward to Aaron Edwards making his weekly appearance. We'll talk about what we learned from games one and two Heading into game three on Thursday, these games are coming fast and furious, so you have that to look forward to if you hit follow or subscribe and get this show in your feed. In the meantime, check out Locked On Sports today. I was on that show, did a quick hit right after the conclusion of the game. Talked with the host over there, Peter Bukowski, so you can listen to that as well as everything else going on in the world of sports. That show is available on all podcast platforms as well, and I'll catch you guys.